Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, no podcast, no problem. Launch a professional podcast you'll love in four weeks. Most people hire production companies to edit and distribute content that sounds bad and does nothing for their revenue or their network. But you could turn the key to a made-to-order podcast and skip all the pitfalls that make 90% of shows discontinue after five episodes. We've got the expertise, the elbow grease, and you're back on this one. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez is here, and today I have the privilege of hosting once again, Jay Dreyer. He's the founder of CareFlash and Prize Pals which were inspired out of a caretaking experience to a family member and later to a family pet, each in extended circumstances, bridging illness through end of life. A recovering CFO, Jay has a passion for enhancing the holistic nature of how loved ones engage in times of heightened anxiety while strengthening the care, efficacy, and client experience of both healthcare and veterinary care organizations. And he's been an entrepreneur since middle school Jay has held senior and executive leadership roles in technology and software companies operating in 30 countries. And uh, if you go back to the history of our episodes, he is episode 283, where we discovered improving physician wellness and empowering friends and loved ones to become more part of the patient journey. Today, he continues on his mission to improve that journey for patients and loved ones and also all the loved ones in our family, including pets. So Jay, such a privilege to have you here again. I know you guys have had a lot of great innovation and have penetrated the market even further. Excited to catch up with you again. Likewise, Saul. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, for those of you, for those of you that haven't heard from Jay, I think it's great to just dive into this again. And, and Jay, what inspires your work in healthcare? I know you're a recovering CFO, as you like to call it. <laughs> what inspires your work in this space? I think the most significant thing is the fact that we're doing something unique that creates value for people in, in very real and discernible ways that truly does create solutions where it seems like more and more every day in society, there's more and more questions and fewer and fewer answers. And we're right in the spot of creating a unique, type of connectivity that promotes the success of our client organizations throughout the healthcare continuum. Yeah. You know, it, it's a great way to add value. You obviously are focused in the health, wellness, and aging process, and just kind of helping people and communities through that. Tell us a little bit about your business and how you're adding value to the healthcare ecosystem. Well, I had an experience back in 2005 where I was caretaker to a loved one living with a chronic illness. And this was a lengthy journey that culminated after, on the tail end of about three years, it culminated in a few weeks of hospice care in the home and the death of this loved one. And as I watched this go on and on and on, it became more clear to me every day that although completely sincere, the vast majority of our friends and loved ones were much more about sympathies and well wishes and the occasional casserole, people asking me over and over again how they could help, everything other than just basic, natural, durable connectedness. 
And as I watched that go on, and it continued on after the loss of this loved one, where people kind of flipped this virtual switch and went to this place of nonstop condolences, really for months on end, it just became more and more clear to me that if someone could create a web tool that included content and capabilities that help to enhance the quality and the durability of connectedness, it would have been fundamental to my effectiveness as a caretaker. But likewise, friends and loved ones want to engage, but they don't know how. And as a result, you know, we've continued to get validation really every day as far as the significance of what we're doing and what, how it bears favor for families, patients, and our client organizations. So it's about being there. It's about durable connectedness instead of those episodics, uh, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, and sending you a casserole, like you said. It's about that durable connectedness. And I think if you're listening to this, you've probably been there. I know I have, you know, where somebody that you love uh, passed and, you know, how do you deal with it? And, and, and how, how do you cope with it? And, and really the way that people around you can help you is not always clear. So how do you guys do it, Jay? What, what are you doing at CareFlash? And I know you, you've embarked on some really neat ways of tackling this challenge of, of providing consistent connection. Tell us more about what you guys are doing to solve for that. Yeah. And so our tool is called a Careopolis. Mm -hmm. which we define as a metropolis of love and empathy. And very simply, this is a tool that is created and run by a family. And it's a private invitation-only solution that's basically a very powerful website that it takes a family about three or four minutes to create. And once created, it contains its own blog and interactive calendar and 3D medical animations, photo and video sharing tools, a storytelling solution that's really our newest innovation that we're really excited about, and other capabilities that help to enable friends and loved ones to become more part of the journey and less part of the landscape. That's neat. So patients, people, families can go on your platform and create a Careopolis, a little town, so to speak, where they could go to support each other around healthcare events and and, and things that might be happening in the family. Exactly. I mean, it, you may look at this as a little bit on the fluffy side, but I can tell you with perfect certainty that there are people who go through lots of routine procedures. I'll just use hip replacement surgery as one example, where the likelihood of an optimal outcome, which is strongly favored by our client organization who's rendering that level of surgical care, the likelihood of that strongly positive outcome is diminished if patients are left to their own devices. And I say that because when you go through a surgery like that, where there's an extended, extensive involved recovery process to where lots of different things are prescribed in the form of therapies and, and levels of engagement and nutrition and things that it's a lot easier for a patient to sit on the sofa than to get up and get active and be engaged in physical therapy, occupational mm -hmm. therapy, things that are going to have a a very clear mark on the ultimate outcome from that routine procedure. And we've proven out very clearly that to the extent that people have a more engaged fabric of friends and loved ones around that journey, the likelihood of them achieving an optimum outcome is dramatically better than if friends and loved ones are just the sympathies and things where they're not really engaged. 
Yeah, I like that. And and so it doesn't necessarily have to be only for, you know, say uh palliative care or or you know anything like that. This is this is certainly something that can be applied to routine procedures and and things that show better results with the input of community and and other people involved. Absolutely. Only about 10% of the caropolises are connected to end of life type circumstances. So yeah, you're spot on. Got it. Now that's a great distinction to make here. And and so last time we talked, Jay, you, you, you we were talking about physician wellness and, and things like that. Does that cover any of this? And are you guys helping provider organizations and their physicians? Or is this more geared toward families and recovery, post-surgical opportunities? Yeah, good question. So our client is the provider organization. And we work with about 900 now throughout the majority of the healthcare continuum, bridging everything from acute care, post-acute, chronic care, cognitive care, behavioral care hospice and palliative care. We're even now into senior living facilities. We work with prosthetic organizations, basically any organization that is serving a population that is on an extended healing or aging journey or living with chronic or or cognitive types of illness. They value the ability to offer this out, not only throughout their client base, these caropolises, but really community-wide because they're all branded to our client organization. So, Just one example I'll use is a group called LHC Group, one of the larger post-acute providers across the country. They value very significantly using this as a tool they can offer out community-wide because what we're enabling them to do is to move their marketing far more upstream than they're able to do organically. What I mean by that is is that people create caropolises long before they're a candidate for post-acute care. And if we can do that in ways that's branded to our client, the likelihood that they're going to get at least looked at, if not called, when that family is ready to uh, engage post-acute care after a procedure or something is dramatically better than if they're just, you know, advertising like everybody else in the space. For sure. For sure. And so you're able to create one of these at any stage of your care continuum. Exactly. We find many people creating them for no reason at all, especially now that we're in this phase of social isolation and separation Mm -hmm. where we're seeing lots and lots of people creating them around loved ones who are, you know, in senior living. I mean, they're not ill, they're not injured, but they're, the family is disconnected. We've all seen the photographs of people visiting with their parents or grandparents through the window of a senior living facility. And in my opinion, this is, we're at the, at the outset of this dynamic where senior living facilities are at, at risk to infection, which quickly goes across the organization. And so the lockout thing is something that I don't think it's going to be lifted anytime in the near future, especially for those vulnerable demographics as in seniors and what all. Yeah, I agree. Let's take a step back here then. The value prop for for patients and families is is huge. And by way of that to the to the provider, you know, giving them a more organic reach of of patients through the care process, the point of care and post-acute, totally clear. So, so how about like, you know, the, the organizational things, like for instance, insights, you know, can you derive insights as a provider from the platform that, that signal a need in a particular area, like with COVID, maybe there's a, a specific thing that keeps coming up or even like you segment orthopedics, there's something that keeps coming up that you identify as a 
need or a, or a risk. Does your platform do that or, or no? It does. However, it's not nearly as precise as what you're getting to. Sure. And we provide quarterly reporting to all of our clients that engages these observations that we're able to glean, not only from a, a, a discrete client's activity, but we're looking at hundreds of organizations in their vertical on the, the uh, healthcare continuum. So we're able to feed them insights that are non-clinical. You know, they're more social sure. insights, but they're nevertheless very tightly tied to where they're going strategically and how they're going about innovating and differentiating and building client experience and things that are fundamental more and more to success in the healthcare space. That's neat. So within within this Careopolis, then you establish it, you're running it before you need your hip surgery. Is there like a link somewhere where you say, hey, contact your provider for your hip surgery? Or, or, or like, are there integrated referral buttons or, or how does that stuff work? Yeah, good question. So what we do is we brand the Careopolis in ways that are unique to each given client organization. So mm -hmm. to my point about LHC group, we brand each Careopolis with each of their respective Careopolises with their logo five website links that they're choosing, and their social media icons. So we're kind of durably helping them educate people on not only the levels of care they provided, but their you know, areas of, of service and other things that they want to talk about, what they're doing, where they're doing it, and how they're doing it, how they're differentiating, and then providing news updates as well, all through five dedicated links that are kind of ever-present underneath their logo kind of an intentionally modest and humble way of branding because really nobody wants to be advertised to anymore. And we've proven out time and time again that people develop affinity for organizations or loyalty to organizations the more that those organizations are creating quality of life in the eyes of that person. You know, I'm not criticizing Madison Avenue. The advertising industry is doing great no matter what I say, but the days of organizations continually saying over and over again who they are and where they are and what they do doesn't really build affinity in the eyes of most of the public anymore, especially the millennials and the following generations. Yeah, well said, Jay. And this is kind of a really neat way to, to reach people organically. Exactly. If we can do this in, in an organic way that is virally powered in that it truly does spread through word of mouth, where inevitably someone goes to create a Careopolis and they invite their closer friends and loved ones to participate in this Careopolis, and inevitably one of them will have a close friend or an associate at work or something that's going through some event with a loved one where Careopolis could be beneficial. And from there, we've basically created a whole new Careopolis with a whole new subset of members that are all branded to that specific client organization. And so when you look at the, how the growth numbers grow over time, I mean, literally, they're experiencing over 10,000 members operating and functioning in their branded Careopolises in their first year alone with a CareFlash partner. That's so great. That is so great. And, and so as you, as you sit back and, and think about some of the results you guys have created for your customers, what's one that sticks out to you as, as one that you feel you know, is worthy of mention? Well, it's such a hybrid of value add, and this largely ties to the fact that 
our primary contact within each of our client organizations is so varied as going from being the CEO as our primary contact point to the CFO, the chief medical officer, chief nursing officer, chief marketing officer. And you can tell that each one of them has such a different focus of, you know, why it is that they embraced CareFlash and brought us into the fold as a vendor. We're into our 15th year now. We still have a 98% client retention rate. And so, you know, the value add that we create in my, I've got my opinions, but so much of the time, it really is in the eye of the beholder where each of those executives has their own, you know, scorecard of things they consider to be of highest priority key performance indicators and whatnot, that it's really all over the map. I mean, the one thing that we're not is we're not a clinical solution. However, the minute I say that, I can tell you that it's easy to see that we truly do help enhance outcomes. Maybe we don't do it in a clinical way, but friends and loved ones engaged in journeys like these is proven to help enhance outcomes. And if we can do that in ways that helps improve the way that families view and interact with healthcare professionals, we're going a long way to help enhance employee engagement on behalf of the healthcare uh, professional. That makes sense. It does. It does. And, and if you had to highlight maybe one that you feel like, yeah, this is, look, everybody's different, but what's one that sticks out? Probably the number one is enhancing adherence and transitions in care that work together to help enhance quality outcomes. And what I mean by that is this. And we've even tracked this to prove it up, although not in a clinical way, is that Mm -hmm. you take someone who's living with end-stage renal disease, which means they're on dialysis, which is a daily or, you know, multi, multiple times a week therapy that they're going through, the likelihood that they're going to, to embrace what's being prescribed in the form of those therapies, which means they're either going into a clinic multiple times a week to get dialyzed or they're doing it at home. The likelihood that people are going to embrace what's being prescribed in creating what you would call adherence is dramatically better to the extent that they have a better socialized existence. I mean, we people, we're pretty simplistic. I mean, for people who have a stronger level of socialization and connectedness, they tend to live longer and happier lives. They tend to be more adherent to what's being prescribed by healthcare professionals who benefit from having that patient adhere to what's being prescribed. And if we can help friends and loved ones become more part of that journey in a non-obtrusive way, and likely as well helping to enhance how transitions in care happens, where someone goes from acute care, being admitted to a hospital, being discharged to post-acute, into some supplementary level of care, and then back home, those are really important things that help contribute to helping to improve quality outcomes. And so really, those are the three things in my mind that are most compelling about what we do. I mean, the marketing value add is stands on its own, but to me, the biggest pain that is resonant within the healthcare system today, especially in this world of value-based care and population health, is what I'm talking about, adherence, transitions, and outcomes. Love it. Great stuff, Jay. And I mean, 15 years, I mean, you know, when, when the average business doesn't last longer than five years, and I mean, like less than 1% make it to 10, right? I mean, you, you're, you're doing a lot of things right. Obviously, not everything has worked. So can you share a setback that you've had and, and what you learned from that setback that's made you guys better? Yeah. And I can tell you very clearly, the thing that pops into my mind when you ask that is the fact that innovation is never a straight line. I mean, people think that entrepreneurship is a sexy, glitzy 
career path, but I can tell you it's never a straight line. In our case, our innovation line looks like a plate of spaghetti. And we have gone so many different directions and dead ends and U-turns and revisiting different things. I mean, even going to our pricing strategy. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg of all the things that we've had to reinvent and revisit and dissect and even break and then, you know, fix. (laughs) But uh, there is just no short, yeah, there's no (laughs) shortage of things that we have gone down the road. I mean, when we started out doing this in 2005, everybody was all about, you know, using advertising to monetize. And we've learned over time that advertising is not something that people who are engaging around loved ones on involved healing or aging journeys, they don't want to be advertised to. Right, and so it took. I've never been the sharpest tech in the box, but eventually I get it. Yeah, <laughs> and it took listening to families and our client organizations enough over enough years to where, for the last several years, we've been using a business model that holds water. It is conducive to our clients' goals. It supports a really strong level of client uh, retention, ninety-eight percent, as I was saying a minute ago. And more importantly is, or as importantly, is it gives us a sustainable business model that lets us keep innovating and growing. Love it. Very cool. Very cool. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the uh, the description <laughs> of that plate of spaghetti, <laughs> reinventing every single aspect of the business. I could certainly feel your pain. Uh, you know, we've had growing pains and, and, and have evolved on at the podcast and the media company that we have now. And it's just... Uh, Love, love your, uh, your, your descriptions there, Jay. They, they hit home. They hit home. And it's amazing the number of people who I learned from. I mean, I'm watching what all these innovators are doing, you included. And it's just like you just continue to, to soak it up and emulate what's, what success seems to be heading towards. And in my mind anyway, here we are, you know, in, in uh, May of 2020, it's just like innovation is being redefined as we speak this afternoon. Again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just, there's a lot of things that we want to hold dear and we want to think are, are firm facets of our reality that are shifting by the day. And Man. who knows where we're going to be in a year. So cool. No, it's a privilege. And I, and I've definitely have admired your work and, and how you guys continue to do what you do. What makes you most excited today, Jay? I guess just the whole sheer range of ways that we're innovating. You know, as I say, we're good listeners and we survey our member base with some regularity, very simple, you know, little 30 second, 60 second surveys, but the feedback that we get and more and more we watch how the reimbursement policy is evolving in the healthcare delivery world. And we continue to see more and more ways where we can bring solutions to the equation that help our clients and those people that benefit from using our tools to become more effective at what they're doing, whether it's caretaking or being a patient or, you know, being a provider. And there's just so many different facets of the continuum of care that we're growing into that I just couldn't be more excited, actually. Yeah, I feel you there. Opportunities continue to grow and if you're nimble and willing to adapt, again, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I've been using this quote a lot, Jay, but we've got to keep saying it. It's a Darwin <laughs> quote that it is not the strongest that survive or the smartest. It's the most adaptable. And, you know, uh, spaghetti plate over and over. You guys, I love are, that. you guys are doing it. 
So last time you were on the podcast, and I appreciate you sharing this this awesome innovation that you you guys are up to and and the neat ways that you've implemented it with success, over 900 customers, 98% client retention, 15 years, that doesn't happen easily. Last time you, you shared a, a Daniel Pink book, A Whole New Mind. What are you reading lately, Jay? I'm always curious what, what the health leaders we, we get on the podcast are reading and curious what's, uh, what's influencing your thinking. Well, the thing that I'm focused on now, and I have it sitting here right next to me, is about a three-inch thick book called Big Wonderful Thing. Hmm. And there was a famous artist who made her way in, in New Mexico art back in the 30s through probably the 60s named Georgia O'Keeffe. Oh, yeah. And Georgia O'Keeffe referred to her time in Texas working as a painter as calling referring Texas big, wonderful thing. Hmm. And it was just a very diverse state with a lot of rich history going back to things that people have heard of, but generally don't understand like the Alamo and Goliad and things that, you know, Texas was its own country for a number of years with its own embassies around the world before it became part of the United States. A big wonderful thing is a chronology going back to the 1500s of the history of Texas. And the reason I say that is that this is something that my wife and I have been reading to each other. We'll read like two or three pages a night each out loud. And we're generally not necessarily right after we read it, do we discuss it, but just throughout the day, you know, little things come to bear about things that we learned about in this book, Big Wonderful Thing, written by a guy named Stephen Harrigan, who's written a number of bestsellers. But it's, I've never, I'm not much of a social reader. I tend to only read things that are aimed at helping me professionally, but I've been working towards of diversifying my reading. And this is one that I've taken just great interest in going back to the Spanish explorers and, you know, when Indians were the only residents of the Texas Gulf Coast and throughout Texas and, you know, the whole Texas spirit and I think there's a, it's a curious thing to a lot of people when they come to Texas and they see there's more Texas flags being flown than American flags. <laughs> and I know Texas has its share of uh, critics. Some of it's well-deserved, that criticism, and some of it's not. But it's a way of life and you know a lot of pride going back many centuries that thousands gave their lives to, to achieve. And what's cool about it is these are the names of Jim Bowie and Davy Crockett and Stephen F. Austin, people whose names are now part of the international nomenclature. And uh, anyway, that's the meat of this book. I love it. And I, and I love the ritual that you and your wife have of reading a couple pages to each other. I think that's great. I think that's a really, really neat thing that you guys have going on. Big, wonderful thing, folks. Again, a reminder to go to outcomesrocket.health. In the search bar, type in CareFlash. That's the company Jay is CEO of and we've been talking about today. You'll find two episodes there, this one and also episode 283. Make sure you listen to both. They're both timely in their own way. And so, Jay, we're at the end here. I'd love if you could just give us a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could continue the conversation with you. Well, the closing thought is is that the power of community is something that we're just starting to really get a grasp on. I mean, I know that a lot of people have embraced it for years to come, for years in the past, but when you look at the triangle of holistic healing, I'm not going to get too deep here, but when you look at the mind-body-spirit triangle of holistic healing, I think there's few people that will agree that one of the most commonly elusive facets of holistic healing is social healing, and that's where we hang our hat. And if anyone would like to connect, I'm always 
learning from listening to others talk about their journeys and goals and challenges. And it's jay at careflash.com. I'd love to continue the dialogue and active networker as we all need to be these days. So thank you. Absolutely, Jay. It's a true pleasure to to reconnect with you today and share with, with everyone listening the beauty of what you guys are doing to connect people to community when it matters most and keep up the great work. We're certainly looking forward to hearing more about Caropolis and uh, what you guys are doing in the, in the years to come. Likewise, Saul. Thank you very much. Hey everyone, Saul Marquez here. Have you launched your podcast already and discovered what a pain it could be to keep up with editing, production, show notes, transcripts, and operations? What if you could turn over the keys to your podcast busy work while you do the fun stuff like expanding your network and taking the industry stage? Let us edit your first episode for free so you can experience the freedom. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.